the Bite Size Birthday Biography Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a podcast which shines a spotlight on a person born on this day at some point in history, somewhere in the world, who made a positive lasting impact. Today, April 29th, we're going to talk about cartoonist Iwao Takimoto. So I am a total sucker for anyone who was part of the movies that I loved as a kid. I am a total child of cinema and film is my favorite art form. Kids kids have a special connection to the movie and the cartoon characters that they love. I know my son, he's almost three, and he would recognize Thomas the Train or Peppa Pig before he would recognize like his neighbor. But pretty much no one knows the name of or even really thinks about the person behind the character. Maybe the voice actor, even like more so now, but probably not the artist who actually created the character that you love and the background that it lives in. Back on October 21st, we talked about Mary Blair. She was uh, an iconic Disney artist, but since then we haven't looked at another artist slash animator since then. So I'm really excited to talk about Iwao Takamoto today. So Takamoto was born in Los Angeles and he was educated at Thomas Jefferson High School and he actually graduated when he was only 15 years old. The following year, Pearl Harbor was bombed, and Takamoto's family, along with thousands of other Japanese families, were rounded up and forced into, we're going to call a spade a spade here, um, American concentration camps. Um, and Takamoto and his parents were bussed over to Manzanar, about 230 miles north of Los Angeles. This camp would house over 120,000 people throughout the last three years of the war. And two of these people, who Takamoto got to know very well, were art directors at film studios. Sensing his interest, they took this teen under their wings and they showed him the basics of drawing. It wasn't until the end of World War II, actually, in mid-1945, that the Takamoto family was finally released, and Iwao stepped into freedom with a deep interest in art. He knew that he wanted to work as an animator, but having been interred for four years, he had no idea where to start. All he had to go on was a name that his camp tutors had kept talking about, Disney. So Takamoto reached out to Disney Studios about an interview, and they offered him one the next week, reminding him before he got off the phone that he needed to bring in his portfolio. So Takamoto hangs up the phone and he realizes that he has no idea what a portfolio actually is, and he definitely didn't have whatever it was. So he asks around and he finds out and he sets about scrambling to make one. He's just like drawing and sketching everything that he can see or think of from like cowboys to knights to trees over the course of one weekend. And it was with this slapdash collection and the courage that only those who have lived through adversity possess that Takamoto walked into Walt Disney Studios. So he was hired as an assistant animator, and he was placed under Milt Call, one of Disney's nine old men. If you haven't heard about them, Disney's nine old men were Walt's core animators, and they were responsible for most of the studio's earliest hits in its first few decades. They only worked as a team on two films collectively, and those were Snow White and Pinocchio. So Takamoto comes on as Milt's assistant, and his talent is a light that you just can't hide under a bushel basket. And he goes to work as an animator and a character designer on some of Disney's most iconic movies, including Cinderella, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, Sleeping Beauty, and 101 Dalmatians. 
During the making of Sleeping Beauty in the late 1950s, Takamoto met a woman named Jane Shattuck, who was also working on the film, and they ended up getting married in 1957 and having one son named Michael. So Takamoto goes from being an assistant to getting an assistant, and he was assigned the only other Japanese animator at the studio, Willie Ito. So Ito comes on as an apprentice, and Takamoto was assigned as his mentor, and I I don't think we need to really harp on the fact that these two were probably put together because they were both Japanese. I mean, Takamoto doesn't really mention any direct harassment or intended discrimination at Disney, but no one there bothered to learn how to pronounce Iwawo, so all the white guys called him Iwo. But aside from that, uh, they were both of the same race, um, him and Willie, and they also had something else in common, and that was that they had both been in American concentration camps. Takamoto had been at Manzanar, and Willie had been at Topaz in Delta, Utah. And Willie, he remembers Iwawo as being a total perfectionist, nothing less than precision would do. And to make his start at the studio an even more stressful one, the very first scene that Willie was given to draw by Takamoto was the iconic spaghetti kiss scene from Lady and the Tramp. Takamoto enjoyed his time at Disney, but by the early 1960s, he wanted to move into television. So in 1961, he joined Hanna-Barbera Productions, where he wore a number of hats, but his most memorable one was that of a character designer. And in this role, he worked on some of the most iconic TV shows and the most beloved characters in American television. His move over to Hanna-Barbera was equally advantageous in a personal sense, because that's where he met his future second wife, Barbara Ferber, the studio PR director's assistant. So Takamoda and Barbara were married in 1964, and their marriage lasted until his death 44 years later. So the overall work conditions in TV animation are very different than film. In film, there's more freedom and timelines could be a a bit more flexible. Whereas when you're putting out a weekly cartoon, there's no wiggle room in that. And there was also less money to go around at Hanna-Barbera than there was at Disney. So that meant less frames were produced. In a Disney animated film, there would be 24 frames per second, while in TV cartoons, the average was only 12. And to further cut down on costs, animators had to find ways to use as much of a cell, as the image is called, as possible when creating a scene. And they solved this problem through a trick called the ring around the collar. If you look at Hanna-Barbera cartoons, um, if you look at like the Flintstones or the Jetsons, Yogi Bear, or any number of other cartoons, you'll notice that almost all of the characters have something around their neck, whether it's a collar or a tie or a necklace, something like that. And this allows the animators to remove a head from a cell without a seam line and reuse it over and over again. And human characters like Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble were often given five o'clock shadows as much as possible to save time. So shortcuts aside, Takamoto liked working in television and he enjoyed contributing to popular kids programming, but his largest contribution to cartoons, arguably, was just around the corner. Enter Fred Silverman. So Fred was a New York-born TV producer and and executive whose career was so legendary that his colleagues called him the man with the golden gut, an homage to his killer instinct that led him to bring to television such shows as The Waltons, All in the Family, Charlie's Angels, Different Strokes, The Facts of Life, The Dave Letterman Show, Roots, Perry Mason, and Matlock. 
So throughout Fred's life, he would serve as an executive at each of the big three, ABC, NBC, and CBS. So needless to say, when Fred had an idea, people listened. And he had a doozy. So Fred had been ruminating on a 1940s radio mystery show aptly titled I Love a Mystery. And this show focused on a group of friends who ran a detective agency and traveled the world solving crimes. Fred had loved that show and he wanted to find a way to make a cartoon adaptation of it. And as he was currently the director of daytime programming at CBS, Fred knew who all the best people were in the biz, and there was only one person that he trusted with this concept, and that was Iwawo. So Fred pitched Takamoto his idea, and he asked him to come up with some sketches. So Takamoto set to work sketching four humans, two men and two women, but he also wanted an animal element in the story. So while Takamoto was ruminating over the possibilities, he recalled a co-worker of his mentioning that she bred dogs as a hobby. So he chatted with her about the dogs that she bred, a large species known as the Great Dane, and what qualities of the dog that she most admired. And she waxed poetic about the grandeur and the majesty of the dog, the ramrod straight back and legs, the small dignified chin, and the distinctive coloring. And Takamoto took all this information and he did the exact opposite. He made a dog that had a goofy curved back, ridiculously bowed legs, an improbably large chin. Even the coloring of the dog that he sketched, which was all brown with small black spots on the shoulders, was not one that you would see on a purebred Great Dane, as the species only comes in fawn, brindle, black, blue, mantle, that's kind of like a, like a Boston Terrier's coloring, gray merle, which is a light gray with black spots, or harlequin, which is the all white and black cow look. So this dog that he made was like the opposite of a Great Dane with ridiculous coloring. And this ridiculous dog needed a name. And as legend has it, Takamoto was inspired by the scat-style improvisational singing of Frank Sinatra's hit Strangers in the Night. And from there came the now infamous tag of Scooby-Doo. Today, we can't imagine Scooby being anything but the goofy brown Great Dane that he is, but had the project been handed over to anyone else, there's no knowing what the results could have been. As Michael Mallory, author of the book Hanna-Barbera Cartoons, said, quote, Iwawo gave us Scooby-Doo. Without him, it would have been a little Airedale, and the show would have lasted like one season. Takamoto evidently had a gift for distinctive canines, though, and he also created Astro, the gray and white dog on the Jetsons. Thankfully, his talent did not go unnoticed, and he was soon made a producer, overseeing shows like the animated version of The Addams Family and Hong Kong Fooey. He also dabbled in film once again, directing the 1973 animated film version of Charlotte's Web and the 1990 Jetsons the movie. By the 1990s, Hanna-Barbera was owned by Turner Broadcasting, and in 1996, it merged with Time Warner, and Takamoto was made vice president of special projects for Warner Brothers Animation. In the early 2000s, he began to finally get the industry accolades that he very much deserved, and he won the Windsor McKay Award that's named after the creator of the early 20th century comic strip Little Nemo, and this was an award that was given to outstanding animators. He was also given the Lifetime Achievement Award from the International Animated Film Association and an honorary citation from the Japanese American National Museum. In 2007, Takamoto was taken to the hospital because he wasn't feeling well, and while he was there, he suffered a fatal heart attack, finally laying down his pencil on January 8th at the age of 81. He was survived by his wife, Barbara, his son, Michael, and his stepdaughter, Leslie. 
My sources today were Wikipedia, the Norman Rockwell Museum website, Discover Nikkei, and the New York Times. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating on Apple Podcast. It means the world to a totally homemade podcast. And if you're feeling social, you can follow Humans in History on Instagram at humans underscore in underscore history. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of Iwao Takamoto. Please join me May 13th when we talk about Dr. Giorgio Pompanicolo, the inventor of the pap smear. See you then.